0: to another episode of Just Jerry Live, Plotting Perspectives in Church Life with Todd Bryant
1: and Jeff Short.
0: How's it going, man?
1: Well, it seems to be going pretty well. I'm I'm really excited to talk about this topic. It's been a while since I've had a good discussion on the Civil War.
0: <laughs> well, I know that is a popular topic out there, and there probably will be some people disappointed when we don't do that
1: one. Oh, so we're not talking about the Civil War, then?
0: Well, I I can see how you would be confused since we're going to talk about canon, but not that kind of canon. Just one, one uh, N in the middle, C-A-N-O-N. Okay. Well, I, I mean, are you the right person to even ask, what is canon?
1: <laughs> Probably not.
0: <laughs> I'll let you answer it anyway.
1: All right, so I guess we're going to get serious here now on Just Jerry Live, which is something we... Often do
0: usually, about a minute um, and fifteen seconds in we start trying we're right at that point,
1: yeah, so we're talking about the canon, what is the canon, and we're obviously we're talking about the Bible, we're talking about scripture, what is included in scripture and what is not, and just for a shortened answer, the canon is the uh, sixty six books, the thirty nine Old Testament books, the twenty seven New Testament books that we uh, have in our standard Bibles.
0: You know, there are a few other books actually mentioned in the scripture, like uh, the Book of Enoch, for instance. right. And I know anytime you you mention those or at least here, somebody's going to want to ask me what that is, and then they're probably going to go home and they're going to Google that, and they're going to find that they can get a copy of that, a so-called copy of that, I should say. And right. and th- those type things are interesting to people because they wonder about those books that are missing from the Bible. Is that really a, a thing we should get very concerned about?
1: Well, not at all in terms of, of Scripture itself. I mean, we have completed scripture. We, there's no other scripture. We don't need any other scripture. Now, as far as historical books go, whether or not what is supposed to be the book of Enoch really is, is certainly a question. There are also books that form a part of the Apocrypha, books that were written uh, during the four centuries between the Old and New Testament. And those, those books are not a part of the canon. They're not inspired scripture. They do have some reliable history in them uh, and then do have some other things that's not as reliable. But, you know, they're interesting as far as study is concerned, uh, history and those sort of things. But in terms of the revelation that God has given us, uh, it is complete in the Genesis to Revelation canon that we have.
0: Well, you bring up a good question then. Okay, course, question number two that I had for you today was, is the canon complete? You've already answered that question. I I think most Christians, if you ask them, is the Bible complete? I think most would say yes to that question. But then when you watch practice in churches and pulpits and books like Jesus Calling, for instance, it's as though people really don't believe that canon is complete. So first of all, is it important that we believe that the canon is complete?
1: I do think it's extremely important to know that the canon is complete, that this is the revelation that God has given us through the various authors that he gave us. Um, You know, Hebrews chapter one or chapter one, verses one and two, gives us that expectation and that understanding that God spoke in times past through the prophets. Uh, he's spoken in these in these days, these last days, this last time through Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus Christ had his apostles that he had chosen and were given this was a, uh, a major part of the apostolic office uh, that they were to uh, give us the written revelation, of God, and of course, that uh, was completed in the first century. Um, so it is, it is extremely important that we understand that the canon is complete. Um, that it's not, uh, it's not subject to change. It's it's not been amended uh, by the Book of Mormon or um, any other you know writings that may come afterward, or uh, even any any sayings or uh, what have you of man
0: and by the way no no book of antiquity is nearly as well documented as scripture god has oh, mirac- certainly so. yeah i think god has miraculously preserved a large amount of not only greek and hebrew tra- you know uh, manuscripts but tons of translations from other other languages early years we clearly the bible is special and it is an
1: astonishing uh, amount <laughs> of preservation.
0: Um, it is an astonishing amount. Okay, so so again, I I think that people would agree in most Christian circles, and and I don't mean these groups that may call themselves Christians, like you mentioned second go Mormons, for instance, but actual you know people who would say they're Christians, they believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for their salvation. We may say we believe that the canon is complete from one perspective, but is it possible that sometimes we mistakenly act as though it is not complete?
1: Well, I think that's certainly possible. And any time that we would hold to any sort of further revelation, any sort of additional revelation, the, the issue really is, that you're adding to the canon, and I know a lot of people don't think that, but that in effect, that really is what's happening. You're you're saying that the scripture is is an open ended book, and that we are continuing to receive revelation today, and that can come that can come in a number of ways. It could come through prophecies. Uh, someone thinks they've received a vision, they've received a word from God you know, various, various ways are leadings and, and guidings. And, uh, even when you hear people just saying, you know, God told me to do this or that, well, you know, what do you mean that God told you to do this or that? Now, if you mean thou shalt not kill, then you're absolutely right. God told us not to do that. But if you're saying, you know, God told you to walk across the street or God told you to do this or that, then you're, you're actually effectively not believing in a closed canon.
0: Yeah. You know, I. Uh- I, my, son, my son has got a, a friend, and I noticed that she just enrolled in a college recently, and she said four months ago, God told her she was supposed to go to that college. Now, I'm not picking on her, but that's just common language today. People say things like that all the time. It, is that how the Holy Spirit works? Does He Does he constantly give us pointers in life audibly?
1: No, I don't see anything in the scripture that would give us that expectation.
0: I I completely agree. You know, one book that I think has really added to the confusion is Sarah Young's Jesus Calling. I'm sure that's your favorite devotional book that you read every morning. (laughs) You know, one of of the things Uh. that she says in the introduction is that she learned this, I think, from two other ladies to clear your mind and just let God work through your pen. And in effect, that's how she wrote Jesus Calling. In fact, Jesus Calling is actually done in the in the first person. Jesus is actually supposedly speaking through her. Now, I've got a major problem with a book that's been written on that premise. It is not in any way a commentary. It's not based on the Bible. It is it is supposed to be the actual words of Jesus apart from the Scripture. That is going to completely undermine the canon being complete. Would you agree with that?
1: Well, it certainly does. I'm not familiar with that particular book, but um, it, it's not. it doesn't sound that different from a number of other things that I've heard of. One of the problems is, is that there's, there's a consequence— that you're going to have to accept, and and most people don't. They don't want to accept this consequence. But if you say, God told me this, God revealed this or that to me, then that revelation or that words, those words, whatever that they were, that is equal to Scripture. It is just as binding and authoritative and for that word to be ignored or violated is sin. If God has told you to do something, if God has spoken to you, then that word is on par with Scripture. It is revelation. Now, many today don't want to accept that conclusion, but really there is there, there is no other conclusion.
0: Well, God God can't speak as far as I would understand it. I, I don't see how this statement is even debatable. God can't speak less authoritatively at one time than He does another.
1: Well, certainly not.
0: He is God. I, I mean, if He speaks, it's with full authority. He is the King of Heaven. He is the Creator. He is the one that is in charge. So right. when He speaks, it is on par with Scripture. It, it can't be any less than that.
1: It No, it cannot. I mean, it has to be on par with Scripture.
0: Okay, so... I'm hesitant to bring this up, but I think that it's an important thing to bring up. I think we've all watched television or you know, I, I don't watch a lot of TV preaching these days. There's just really not worth anything there. But I've even heard in person a few times, you know, the pastor may get up into the pulpit and say, man, I was in the shower yesterday and God gave me this message or I was, you know, driving down the road or I was cutting my grass and God gave me this message and then a lot of times what you will hear preached is not in any way a preaching of any text. It's generally maybe you'd you'd hear one verse read and then 30 minutes of talking of this message that God has given. You know, I think that's so common today that we don't think about it that much. But isn't that somewhat undermining the completeness of the canon if we're not cautious there?
1: I believe it is. And we can obviously take... Sort of the best light interpretation of that, but effectively what a person is saying is that what is about to come out of their mouth is a thus saith the Lord. No different than when Isaiah stood to deliver the word of God or wrote the word of God, Jeremiah, any of the any of the prophets, uh, any of the apostles? So if you're saying God gave me this message or God told me to say this, then you need to realize that what you're saying is that what you're about to utter is the very words of God, again, on par with Scripture, carrying all authority um, and power that the words of Scripture have.
0: And I also think, like you say, I I don't think, a guy always means that the way that may come out i think he may just mean god led him perhaps or he thinks god maybe got his mind on this subject i think that really needs to be avoided though because the congregation is hearing something else they are hearing god gave you a special message for us today much the way that jeremiah was with, you know ministering to judah when they were under Babylonian siege, you know, there is a very specific word for us today that God gave you and nobody else. And that's, that's concerning.
1: It is concerning. And I, and I think you're right that most people don't mean that when they make that statement, but I think that they should stop saying it if that's not what you mean.
0: Well, you know, Paul in writing to Timothy talks about all scripture being by the inspiration of God, literally being breathed out by God. It's it's profitable for, you know, reproof, correction training, that we would be complete, that we would be fully equipped for every good work. So the scripture is what God's children need. They don't need a new revelation. We've got enough of a revelation. And when, you know, Paul, I know that the chapter break there in Second Timothy almost throws you off but he leads straight in from this understanding of the God-breathed Scripture being enough to fully mature every child of God to telling Timothy to preach the Word. He didn't tell Timothy to wait around for a message from God. He told Timothy to preach the Word because no matter what text you preach, the congregation needs to hear it if you preach it accurately because according to Jesus we need every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Right? You agree with that?
1: Oh, I absolutely agree with that.
0: Well, I, I, that sounds good. You must be right if you're agreeing with me.
1: <laughs> well, that's usually how I judge my accuracy.
0: <laughs> I, if only everybody did. I, if only my kids thought that <laughs> way. Okay, so what is the fallout then for a church where – we can't come to this agreement that the canon is complete.
1: Well, I don't see how that you avoid going into confusion and error because who who's then to say where the standard is? Um, who, you know, who's then to say, say you have, you know, one member in a church, you know, I've received this word and another member's received this other word. And, well, the word's conflict and they don't agree with one another and and maybe even neither one of them agree with what's already given in scripture. Well, you know how, if we're going to accept this word from the Lord, then we have to accept it as being authoritative. I mean, we have to accept it as being infallible. How can God speak in any way other than infallibly? And so anytime we're dealing with infallible revelation and we have some conflict or contradiction well i i can't see anything being the result other than division within a church which is i think exactly what you see happening in the church at corinth and when paul writes about the various gifts that were operative at that time one of the things that one of the things he says to the church at corinth is that it's the same spirit it's the same spirit that gives one gift to one and one gift to another Basically, what Paul was saying was that th- they cannot disagree. They can't be in conflict, and nor can they be um, out of accord with r- written revelation that's already been given.
0: Absolutely. So if, if we're going to make the statement, the Bible, the canon, we may call it in this particular episode, is our final rule of faith and practice. We have to then believe the canon is complete. Absolutely. Absolutely. And therefore, we should not be talking about this extra word that God has given me. If if he's given you a word, I'm hesitant to even use such language. But it, it, theoretically, if he's given you a word, it has to come out of the scripture. And if right. it comes out of the scripture, you don't need to be given an extra word. Right. You know, well, and, you know, there is this whole, well, I just want to hear from God, but he's already spoken.
1: He has spoken in His Son, and we have that written word.
0: Okay, so we agree that canon should be complete and that we really need to be cautious about the things that we say. And I, again, I think some some sometimes people use language that they really don't mean. Maybe they haven't thought about it, or maybe it's just been common for people in their history to say those things, but I think we need to be really cautious about it. How does having a closed canon affect our perception of, and this is an important subject, I believe, the sufficiency of Scripture?
1: Well, when we talk about the sufficiency of Scripture, we are talking about, I think you said it there just a few moments ago, that, w- that we hold the Scripture to be the sole rule of all matters of faith and practice so we're saying that the canon the scripture the bible is the infallible inerrant word of god that instructs us on all things to believe and things to be done or not done so the saying that the scripture is sufficient is saying that it supplies all that we need that we don't need any extra revelation. We don't need any new or fresh word. Um, The scripture gives us everything that we need. And there in uh, second Timothy chapter three, you know, it's, it's sufficient to mature us. Uh, I think Peter said something very similar that uh, we have everything that we need um, for godliness and and what have you in the word of God so that God's written word is is sufficient ultimately means we don't need anything else, and where that correlates with the closing of the canon means that we we have a complete, all sufficient word, and
0: that should affect the way the pulpit preaches the
1: word. Well, it it does. It, I mean, that's that's obviously going to be. The first place where you're going to see it within church life, but really it should affect everything that we do. Uh, it, it affects uh, our church polity. It, it affects our, our ministry. It affects our prayers. It affects our services when we get together. It, I mean, it really affects and directs everything that we do.
0: So the fact that I believe, and and you do as well, that the scripture is sufficient to completely mature the people in the congregation that God has given me a place of leadership in, shouldn't then I do everything within my power to get that scripture and an understanding of it into their minds and hearts?
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, right after there in second Timothy four, which is one of the most unfortunate chapter divisions um, in the New Testament, but you know, preach the word. He has just said all scripture. It is, it's inspired. It's breathed out by God and it is sufficient to completely mature and, and equip us um, for every good work. And then Paul says, preach the word, preach that word, preach all scripture. So understanding the sufficiency of scripture and a closed canon means that when we gathered together as God's people, we don't need to hear a new or fresh word from the Lord. We need to hear what God has revealed, what it means, and how that it informs us and applies to our lives today.
0: I completely agree. So, so say you're pastoring a church where there is a little bit of misunderstanding amongst the congregation as to the the truth of a closed canon. Maybe that is because there has historically been some of this God has given me a word for you today, talk from the pulpit. But nonetheless, whatever the reason, there is some misunderstanding about the the canon being complete. How can I, as a church leader, impress the importance of a completed canon to my church?
1: Well, as a, as a pastor, as an elder who has a teaching role, then obviously the primary place where that's going to happen is going to be in that pulpit ministry. So first and foremost, as you are preaching to a congregation week in and week out uh, and maybe preaching along with, with others you know, week in and week out, well, there's first of all, there has to be a commitment that we are going to preach Scripture, which means that we're going to open up the Bible, we're going to take a passage, we're going to expound what that passage means in its original context, and we are going to apply it um, to our life together as a church, our lives as families, our um, lives as as people in the world and what have you. So there has to be a commitment that, that we're going to preach this word. Another way that Paul put it was preaching the whole council from Genesis to revelation. We're, we're going to preach scripture, opening up that word, um, exposing the meaning in the original context, placing it within its canonical place, which is going to mean, where it's at in the progress of Revelation from, from Genesis to the book of Revelation, um, that's that has to be our, our aim. So that has to be the first place that we start. And then as we order, um, whether it's services, something about the life of the church, the ministry that the church is doing, well, then the Bible needs to be seen as being central to all of that. That that this is where we go to be informed about our faith and practice, and I think those are two uh, major ways that a pastor or that um, elders are going to uh, impress the importance of that completed canon on a congregation.
0: Would you say if I, as a pastor, am struggling? to find texts, to, to preach what I want to say this weekend, that there's a fundamental problem relative to understanding the sufficiency of Scripture. In other words, I've got a topic that I want to preach, but I'm struggling to find a passage that says what I want to say. Should I probably rethink my approach to pulpit ministry if that's the case, if I find myself there all the time?
1: I think you should. And that, you know, I went through that experience. You probably did as as well early in your, in your pastoral ministry. But I, I realized that the problem with trying to chase the problem of the day and trying to find the topic and then trying to string together a few verses to try to address what I thought was the urgent issue of the day. Um, first of all, you know, I just come to realize that From one aspect, that doesn't work. That's not going to work to equip and to mature a church. Uh, It's really not going to work to address those problems. Um, It's probably going to lead to a lot of frustration and burnout on the part of pastors. But aside from that, I just come to realize that I I cannot fulfill the responsibility and calling that I have from God to preach the word that way. I have to preach it. I have to preach that word and I have to preach all of it um, or certainly die trying.
0: Yeah. So if I constantly find myself preaching things that aren't in the Bible, I probably need to go study a little while on the sufficiency of scripture and the the closed canon. Would you agree with that?
1: Absolutely. And and I know that even again, from my own experience, I realized that you know, part of my problem was I wasn't really trusting in scripture. I, I'm I'm trying to come up with this perfect sermon to address this problem that I see, to speak to this need that I perceive, and then I'm just trying to find some verses somewhere, you know, to go along with it, to give it some biblical support. But I just come to see that my I really wasn't relying on scripture. You know, I had a Young preacher asked me. It's been a little while back, but was just they were just talking. He, he was talking about how nervous that he was, and how overwhelming the task of preaching was. And he just was asking, you know, how can you, you know, how can you get past that? And um, you know, one of the things that I said, and that you know, I experienced even in my own ministry is that if you really believe in the power and sufficiency of Scripture, that goes a long way toward giving you confidence because you're getting, if you're getting up to preach the word, your confidence is in that word. It's not in my ability. It's not in my ability to come up with a topic this week. It's not in my my ability to, you know, find a creative way to say something, but the confidence is in that word. That word is complete. It is sufficient. And we know that the spirit works through that word. So be confident in that word.
0: Canon. Complete leads to an understanding of the sufficiency of Scripture, which ultimately should really focus our churches on the Word of God and how it will completely mature each and every one of us from the pulpit to the
1: pew. Absolutely.
0: So if you were going to suggest maybe a resource, I know both of us read Canon Revisited last year uh, by Michael Kruger. It's not necessarily completely on the subject of sufficiency, but he does deal with the canon and how it came to be and the completeness of it from start to finish. It is a very academic read. It's it's not easy. You got to pay attention, but I feel like that book is worth reading, especially for Christians in a very skeptical society. I mean, a pastor at the least needs to read that book, but I, I think that it gave me further confidence, if that's possible, further confidence in the canon being complete and being sufficient.
1: That is a really good book. It's a book that I think is a must-read book for every preacher, um, and I certainly would encourage you know every Christian to read it, but it is a must-read for every preacher. Um, one of the things that he did so well uh, I thought that he brought out the self-authenticating argument of Scripture as well as I've ever seen it, and I, I think it's if for nothing else, it'd be worth it for that alone. But it's 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 worth reading that whole book. Um, another book that deals with canon, not entirely, but does deal with canon some, is a book about Scripture uh, by John Piper called A Peculiar Glory. And uh, that I, I, I think that's probably the best book of his that I've read. Um, I was pleasantly surprised by it in, in some ways, but found it to just be an excellent book on the subject of Scripture. And he does have quite a bit in there where he talks about the canon as well.
0: So buy one of those books and throw Jesus Calling in the garbage, uh, and I think you'll be making good progress there. You got anything else?
1: No, I, I think that's all, unless you want to start talking about Northern Aggression.
0: <laughs> uh, well, maybe we'll save that for another Just Jerry. we probably <laughs> worn our time down in this one. All right, everybody, hope you have a great day, and hope you've enjoyed Just Jerry Alive.